Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here is Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 43, being recorded on Thursday, August 25th, 2016. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. This episode is sponsored by the National Retail Federation. Scott and I are going to be live podcasting at the shop.org digital summit this year, which is in Dallas on September 26th through the 28th. In fact, we have a custom discount code for our listeners. That code is Jason Ampersand Scott, J-A-S-O-N Ampersand S-C-O-T. And uh, if you enter that on the shop.org website, you'll get a 10% discount on a full conference fee. Uh, so you can visit retaildigitalsummit.nrf.com or find a link in the show notes, and uh, we will hope to see you at the show. Now, as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason. Hope everything is going well. We have a lot to cover tonight, so let's jump right into it. Here on episode 43, we're continuing our very popular interview series. Back in early August, we had the interview from Fazzle with IR number five retailer Staples, and we asked ourselves, hey, Jason and Scott, how do you top that? Well, the only answer we came up with is you have to go to Walmart. A couple of fun Walmart facts. Walmart is the fortune number one with a bullet retailer. They have 11,500 stores. I think I've hit maybe 500 of those personally. 12 websites around the world. Here in the U.S. each month, the Walmart websites gets 80 million visitors and the app gets 20 million users. Walmart is working hard to combine these assets to create a seamless shopping experience at a very impressive scale. A key part of Walmart's uh, strategy is its marketplace on walmart.com, which currently carries 15 million items, which is up 7 million from just a few years ago. So here on the podcast, we're really excited to have Seth Beal. He's the Senior Vice President of Global Marketplace at Walmart e-commerce on the show. Seth leads the global marketplace, as you would imagine. Welcome to the show, Seth. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Scott. I'm excited to be here with you. And, and Jason, do I call you Jason or Retail Geek? I, I'm not sure. Uh, both are more flattering than the, the uh, terms that Scott tends to use for me. So I'd be happy with either. But Jason is fine. All right. Yeah, yeah. Any expletives are welcome as well. Usually uh, <laughs> they're associated with Jason's name. Yeah, uh, I'll and, edit uh, them out and just put compliments anyway. So you can't really win. <laughs> Jason is a... Really nice guy. Um, so, uh, Seth, what part of the world are you in to this evening? So I'm here in California, uh, in San Bruno, so Bay Area, uh, and it's a beautiful night, and I'm watching the fog roll over the hill. Neat. I'm in North Carolina, and I think Jason's in Chicago, so we've got, uh, we're bi-coastal, and we've got the Midwest looped in there. Exactly. We, uh, we've got uh, full national coverage. Very cool. So, Seth, one of the things that we always, uh, listeners are always really interested in is uh, sort of uh, your background and how you came into the, the role. And I know in your case, it's a slightly unusual background. Um, you have a, a, a fancier degree than, than uh, most of us in the e-commerce space. In fact, I think you actually have a law degree. Yeah, I do have a law degree. It's, it's funny. I, I came out of school. I'm the, I'm the son of a lawyer, and I Figured I would go to law school. I went to law school, uh, practiced law for a number of years in Los Angeles, loved what I was doing, 
Um, but at the same time, you know, the technology was just booming. And I had grown up in Seattle and had lots of friends that were in the technology space. And a couple of them were really entrepreneurial. So as they would start up new ventures, they'd come hit me up for money. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, and so I would periodically invest in these different ventures that folks had. And uh, one of them didn't fail. Um, and uh, that's not to say it had succeeded, but it, it didn't fail. And uh, um, after it hadn't failed for a couple of years, um, you know, the the three or four of us that were, were really involved got together and said, look, um, maybe we have something that we could really build. Um, and so I left the law firm I was at. I went to the partnership and said, look, um, I really just want to leave for a couple of years and go up and try this e-commerce thing back in Seattle. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the partnership, maybe they were happy to see me go. I don't know. But uh, they, they said, sure, um, you know, we're supportive of that. So I moved my family up to Seattle, um, you know, took that, you know, that jump off the cliff from a stable, steady job with a, with a paycheck to a, a startup with, you know, not much of a paycheck. And, you know, certainly uh, it didn't feel very stable. Um, and over the course of, you know, a number of years, we, we built an e-commerce company kind of from, uh, from the ground up. Awesome. Can you, can you tell us the name of it or? Sure. Is it super no, secret? no, hardly. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> super secret e-commerce companies don't last very long. So yeah. um, the, comp- the company's name was Thrift Books uh, and it was a used book reseller. Uh, and, you know, one of the really cool things about the internet is you can sell products to so many different people. So you can operate at a scale that's just so different than you used to be able to. So what we did is we started off buying, you know, boxes of books from Goodwill, uh, used books, and putting them on uh, for sale on Amazon's uh, initial marketplace. Uh, we had a Z shop and we would list them. And then uh, one of our partners uh, kind of developed a, a, an algorithm and a, and a process for listing those books automatically. So we no longer had to type in the names. Uh, and then from there, we found a way to start listing them, not just on Amazon, but we started list, listing them on other websites and we started repricing them. And we kind of created this process to do this, you know, at a bigger and bigger scale. And so we went from, you know, uh, somebody's apartment to a storage unit, to a small warehouse, to a big warehouse, uh, to uh, now 11 warehouses around the country. And each one of those warehouses holds like about a million books. Um, wow. So super exciting. I mean, walking through one of those warehouses is like those, um, that scene at the end of Indiana Jones, where he's, you know, putting the Ark <laughs> of the Covenant away, except mm-hmm. it's just books and it's books of every type and sort, And they just seem to go on forever. Um, and, you know, had you asked me when I was a kid, what I wanted to do when I grow up, I would have said I wanted to own a bookstore. And this is like the coolest bookstore ever. Um, so we, uh, we built this, this, this company up to, um, you know, a, a size where, um, we thought it made sense to kind of bring on partners. And we ended up selling the business to a, a private equity fund um, who was going to help us continue to scale that out. Um, and I actually stayed on after the sale for a number of years uh, as the, you know, continue to operate the business uh, for the new partners. But uh, after having done that for a couple of years, I was starting to think, you know, what is, what's the next challenge? Um, I felt like I'd done a lot of what I wanted to do there uh, and was starting to think about it. And Walmart actually called uh, because I knew somebody who who worked at Walmart and um, he had just taken a new job as and this is a fancy title. He was the global chief compliance officer for for Walmart, uh, Walmart Corporation. Uh, and it's somebody who I'd gone to law school with. Uh, and he he called me up and said, look, Seth, um, 
I've taken on this new position. Uh, Walmart's really serious about these compliance efforts. Um, and we're trying to find a way to do this well for an e- our e-commerce businesses. Um, would you be interested in, in applying for this job that we're creating to, to do compliance for Walmart's e-commerce groups? And my response back was absolutely not. Uh, I can't imagine something that interests me less. I'm not sure I, I, I want to do compliance. I'm, I'm not sure I want to work for Walmart. Um, but I'd be really happy to come out and spend some time with you in Bentonville. If you want me, I'll, I'll come out and you, we can get together and I can talk to you about people who I might think might be good at the job. Um, and famous last words, uh, you know, over the course of, uh, of a number of months, um, Jay Jorgensen and, and later on Neil Ash and, and others inside the e-commerce group uh, got me really excited about Walmart um, and about the opportunities that, you know, working at Walmart would have around uh, kind of seeing e-commerce at scale. Uh, and so eventually I became the, the, the first chief compliance officer for Walmart's e-commerce businesses. Um, and you know, compliance is a funny word. It, it, it has this kind of negative connotation. But for me, compliance is all just about managing risk. You know, when making sure you don't do stupid things as a company. And, you know, I didn't have a compliance function at ThriftBooks, but we'd spend a lot of time trying not to do stupid things. Uh, and so my viewpoint around compliance always was, how do we enable the business to be educated about the risks that they take? Um, it's just fine to take risks. In fact, to be successful in any business, you need to take risks but you just want to avoid the stupid ones. Uh, And so we built up uh, a compliance function both in the United States and in China and Brazil and India and all these other countries that we operated in, you know, that focus on the e-commerce space over a couple of years. And after a couple of years, I got a chance to to move over back into the the true business side of of e-commerce. And, you know, for the last year now, I focused on, on Walmart's marketplace efforts. Very cool. The um, so I have to say you have major marketplace cred to be Z stores. That's totally old school. It, that's like it's, uh, that's like the equivalent of Run DMC and Grandmaster Flash in the marketplace world. Just to kind of bring it down for folks. Hey, if I can be in Run, <laughs> if I can have like the same level of street cred as Run DMC, then I'm in good shape. I, I have there, to admit, man. you know, one of the funny things about this chance to do a podcast is this gives me street cred with my kids. You know, I told him uh, I was doing a podcast and suddenly my my esteem went up or uh, or their esteem for me went up. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to do this. I'm glad they feel sure, that way sure. now, because when you make them listen to it on the next family car trip, they're probably going to be disappointed. <laughs> you say that they immediately, you know, after we talked about it, they immediately went out and found your Pokemon Go episode. And uh, we got mm. a chance to, to experience that together. The kids love the Pokemon Go episode. See, Jason didn't think there'd be an audience, but there is. The the fourteen year old girl <laughs> audience was was there for you. Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah. Scott's interest in fourteen year old girls' interests overlap is uh, much higher than one would think. I have daughters, and I live this every day. Exactly. Squad goals. Hashtag squad goals. Hashtag good dad. Exactly. <laughs> So I have to jump in with a personal question. I know a couple of folks like yourself that are Seattleites that are in the Bay Area. Um, do you, the big question is, did you convert to a 49ers fan or are you still a Seahawks fan? And, and full disclosure, Russell Wilson went to NC State um, and I'm a big NC State. I'm a fan and grad and so been watching him for kind of eight years here. So I'm a Seahawks fan, but I won't be offended if you've converted. So first of all, I'm I'm offended you had to ask me, would a Seahawks fan ever convert to a 49ers fan? That just doesn't happen. You know, we, had, <laughs> we had certain rules as we moved down to the barrier with my kids 
And one of them is, is we, we don't root for the, the teams that compete with Seattle teams. So I am happy to say I go to the 49er games when they're playing for Seattle, wearing my Seattle jersey, my Russell Wilson jersey, uh, you know, proudly and, uh, and defend the honor of the 12s. So uh, um, the nice thing is, is w- since I've been here, Seattle's been on top. So I hope that doesn't change while I'm still here because it would be much more unpleasant if it did. Awesome. So back to business. Jason and I, um, we both worked with walmart.com quite a bit and we're, we're pretty familiar with kind of how it operates, but I'm not sure a lot of the listeners kind of understand, you know, the whole, um, the whole how, how Bentonville works. And then you guys are out there kind of separate. And, uh, you know, for a while there, it was like almost a separate company and then it got pulled back in. Can you give us kind of an overview for, um, you know, for someone, uh, that would be more of a layman, like a, a marketplace seller, kind of what are the bullet points of how they think about walmart.com? Sure. One of the really cool things about Walmart is it's just enormous. Uh, you know, and I know Scott and, you know, he was leading off the podcast was talking about some of those stats, I mean, there's 2.1 million employees, and maybe it's more, a little north of that now inside of Walmart. And as you can imagine, it takes a lot of folks to kind of you know manage 2.1 million in, employees and make sure all those stores operate and 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 focus on all that. Uh, and so there's a a big operation based out of Bentonville, Arkansas, that you know really tries to help the stores all around the world you know operate as efficiently as they can. But uh, Bentonville probably wasn't the best place to start uh, an e-commerce business and. So uh, in uh, 2000 timeframe, Walmart decided to open up a shop in Silicon Valley that was going to create a a walmart.com to start selling uh, Walmart products on over online. Uh, And in the last 16 years, that, you know, originally very small group of people, which, you know, for a while did operate pretty independently of, of Bentonville, kind of grew into, you know, thousands of people now in the Bay Area and and also around the world. You know, focusing on e-commerce for Walmart and uh, all the other different banners that you know, kind of Walmart owns. Um, and so today we have you know a lot of folks in in San Bruno, which is you know for those that know the barrier, it's uh, it's right by San Francisco uh, International Airport. We also have uh, a big uh, hub of folks down in Sunnyvale, uh, and we really focus on the e-commerce, both the business side and the technology. Uh, and unlike maybe early days, we actually are really closely integrated in with you know, the overall Walmart operation. You know, our customers are really telling us they want an omni shopping experience. They want to be able to shop in the stores and and then be able to shop online for things that maybe the stores don't have, or maybe shop online and have things delivered to their local stores so they can come pick it up. Uh, and we found that to be successful for our customers, we have to really operate in sync. Uh, and so we actually spend a lot of time, you know, collectively trying to figure out what's what our customers want and how we can deliver it either digitally or physically and making that as seamless as possible for them. Got it. And you're in charge of the marketplace. Um, so we want to, you know, I, I'm obviously a huge fan of the marketplace model in general, and you guys have had the marketplace for a while. Um, tell us a little bit about the kind of the progression of the marketplace. Uh, you know, it was kind of uh, my understanding. It was, it was kind of closed and, and gated and almost like an experiment. But then in the last year, you guys have gotten really aggressive on it. Um, so, so give us a little flavor for the life cycle there and what the current thinking is around the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Walmart's had a marketplace for a number of years and most people just didn't realize it because we only did uh, work with just a couple partners. Uh, you know, for a number of years, we had six, you know, sellers and, um, and really just, you know, kind of we're slowly dipping our, our toe into, you know, 
operating in an environment where we had both Walmart items listed next to items that other sellers had. Um, but over time, you know, we kept hearing back from our customers that we love the things that Walmart has, but it sure would be nice if you had some other things, you know, that you had a broader selection of, you know, not just the great, you know, kind of Walmart items, but, you know, maybe that they wanted, um, you know, this particular tennis racket, and that's not something that Walmart historically carried. So, uh, we realized that we had to meet our customers' demands. We really had to go out and find partners. Uh, and the marketplace model is one that made sense. Uh, and so the way we started with it, actually, is we sat there and said, look, what do customers care about? Um, customers really care about getting what they're expecting. You know, we got to meet their expectations, and that's all about trust. Uh, and so how do we make sure that a marketplace model is going to always meet our customers' expectations? So we... Uh, we focused on sellers that we knew could deliver on that uh, and started slowly, you know, finding those sellers that, you know, really could deliver on, you know, what our customers expect every single time. Um, and uh, over time, as we kind of started to perfect that model, we also built a technology platform that would allow us to scale it out. Uh, and so earlier this year, we kind of launched on a new global marketplace platform that would really allow us to work with as many partners as made sense for our customers. Uh, and so we started going out and inviting sellers to come sell in the marketplace. And we focused on sellers that we knew would have great products, that our customers were already telling us that they wanted, that were going to have great values because Walmart is all about great values uh, and that could deliver that experience over and over and over again. Uh, and so our approach has really been, you know, expanding that marketplace as quickly as we can, so long as we can kind of continue to meet our customers' expectations, because that's what it's all about. It's all about making our customers happy because that's going to make our sellers successful and that's ultimately going to make Walmart successful. Got it. Yeah. So um, I like that you're starting at the customer and working back. I think that's that's really important. A lot of the marketplaces that maybe haven't succeeded have had other other goals like, you know, margin and you know, they're good goals. But, you know, if, if you don't start at the customer, it's hard to make these things kind of work. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to hold your feet to the fire a little bit. The it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if we didn't bring up the you know the uh, the big the A word so Amazon and you know uh, I I remember a Walmart exec uh, I can't remember who said this but you know there I think it was on one of the the quarterly financial calls someone said hey are you do you think Amazon's going to be the Walmart of online and and you know the exec kind of said you know that's we're going to be the the Walmart of of online so. You know, Amazon has a really big lead. They're, uh, you know, they're the number one online retailer. Um, you're from Seattle, so you probably know a bunch of people that work there, I'd imagine. And you know that, that it's tough to compete with those guys. H how do you guys think about that? And, you know, where can you win against Amazon? And and uh, would love to hear kind of, you know, your, your thoughts on that. Uh, so a couple, couple things. One, you know, it's Sam Walton used to always say that you can really learn from your competitors. Um, and we try to do that, you know, today at Walmart. So look, we look and see what Amazon is doing and what we think might make sense. But if you start with trying to compete with Amazon, you're already, you're, you're going to lose. You got to figure out what your customers want. You know, and for us, this, you know, it kind of comes back to that idea of we need to figure out where our, what our customers expect from us as Walmart. And we got to build to that. Uh, and we're honest with the fact that, um, you know, we focused really, you know, for, for 50 years um, on how do we deliver that in a, in a physical space. And it's really only been the past, you know, 10 years that we focus on how do we, you know, deliver that digitally. And now how do we bring those two things together? So, you know, we, we know we need to get better. We know we need to go faster. Uh, and we're kind of going to be relentless in doing that. 
uh, last couple of years have been exciting. You know, we've made real strides in technology and uh, and infrastructure. Uh, we can deliver packages now to you know all corners of America in a couple of days. You know, and you know that's kind of table stakes in this. Um, and we view that as a a real exciting opportunity to kind of better serve our customers. Um, and we know if we do that, you know, we're going to be rewarded with our customers kind of coming back over and over again. Um, and so uh, we kind of think, again, you start with customers, you focus on meeting their needs, and you're going to be successful. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up Sam Walton. So I want to kind of inject here. There's a really good biography uh, called Sam Walton Made in America. And, um, you know, as, as a computer science person coming into the world of retail, I remember reading a bunch of biographies and they were kind of like, they're pretty lame, to be honest with you about, you know, how did uh, this or that retailer get started? Uh, but Made in America is just amazing. Just the progression of, you know, the, the idea of focusing on everyday low prices and the scale and just the the entrepreneur story is, is just really amazing. And, and it's um, when I, I know when I talk to Walmart executives, they, they, they quote, you know, they, they Sam, they all call him Sam, they quote Sam constantly. And it's just really interesting that that DNA is really seeped into what you guys do. And, and it was interesting to hear you come back to it, even, uh, you know, in, in the dot-com context, because, uh, you know, I think he really laid a great DNA for the company there. You know, it's funny. I talked about how I got convinced to come to to Walmart. You know, it wasn't something I was planning on. Um, and it was people at Walmart that talked me into it. But it was also reading that book because that book <laughs> got me really excited. It was, uh, you know, before I went down to Bentonville, I, I read the book. And, you know, there are some really cool things. The use of technology, you know, before technology was cool to use in retail, you know, using, you know, databases and using high tech communications you know, to kind of revolutionary, revolutionize the way you do retail. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of taking that approach, you know, constantly reinventing yourself for your customer, you know, it works today. It doesn't matter if it's e-commerce or physical commerce, it's just commerce. Uh, and so I'd recommend that book to anybody. Yeah, it kind of doesn't matter. It's The principles are timeless. Yeah. And, it, and then, it you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like high tech, but then he's like hopping in these little Cessna airplanes and like zipping over these areas. They want to start a store and looking at land and stuff. It's very, it's kind of like homesy married with like this kind of high tech visionary thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a neat, a neat story. Uh, and by the way, like uh, he, he literally did take a week off to take the IBM training class. Um, to to be a terminal operator on the AS 400s back in the day, so definitely an early adopter of technology and retail, and it seems like that that has cert- that trend has certainly uh, continued on. Um, but speaking about competition with Amazon, uh, seems like a good time to bring up a big move that you guys made this month: uh, the acquisition of Jet. And of course, we've talked a lot about that on the the podcast. But I'm wondering what you can tell us. Um, from your perspective about, you know, the, uh, sort of, sort of the underlying thoughts behind why, why Walmart would acquire Jet? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a subject we obviously can't talk a lot about right now as the, as the process of getting that deal approved by, um, the regulators kind of goes through, but I, I can reiterate a couple things. One is, you know, what Jet has done is, is really remarkable, you know, kind of the growth that they've had, the, the focus on, you know, kind of returning value to customers. Uh, that's super exciting. It's it's the kind of thing that Sam Walton would have done. Uh, and, you know, we're really excited about, you know, that, you know, aspect of, of Jet.com. You know, and we're also excited about what it can do for our customers as we bring the the two, 
the companies together. Uh, so, you know, largely at this point, it's uh, we want to wait, let the process play out. But, you know, we think it's great things for customers and great things for sellers. Very exciting. And we're, we're going to be looking forward to, to following the integration in the, the weeks and months to come. Uh, this is a trend on the Jason and Scott show. Scott asks all the softball questions and I ask all the hard ones. So just, just to <laughs> sort of, um, and so, uh, the, the other thing I'm really curious about is obviously you're very focused in the marketplace and there's a, a ton of benefits associated, uh, with offering a marketplace. But one of the downsides of a marketplace for an omni-channel retailer like Walmart is you guys also offer a bunch of omni-channel um, experiences, buy online, pick up in store, for example, in store returns, all of those sorts of things that are considerably harder to do with marketplace products than they are with first-party products. And I'm I'm just curious, like, is, is that something you guys have to struggle with? Are there, you know, opportunities to to make a, mar- a marketplace more omni-channel? How, how do you think about omni-channel in the marketplace group at Walmart? So great question. It's something that we you know, are constantly trying to explore ways to make the marketplace experience better for our customers. Uh, and one way is looking for ways that we can use the stores uh, and use the kind of footprint that we have around the country to, you know, be both for kind of our first party things that we sell and also potentially for marketplace. It's complicated. You know, one of the things that as we've scaled up the marketplace, we really focus on the technological infrastructure to do, you know, the digital relationship. At this point, we are looking at ways we can use our physical footprint, but we're not there yet. Um, and so I'm hoping in the in the months uh, to come that we'll be able to you know, find ways to better leverage that because we think our customers would like that. Uh, and again, if we can do something right by our customers, we want to try to do it. Cool. On on the marketplace, and, and you know, we have all, a variety of listeners, all the way from you know very small uh, retailers and brands, all the way up to very large. Uh, help our listeners understand who who is your target for the marketplace. When um, when you're, I, I saw you at uh, Internet Retailer, and when you're an Internet Retailer, and someone says, "Hey, should I sell on the Walmart marketplace?" What what's your answer, and, and what are you guys looking for? How do you kind of think about that? So. Yeah, a couple interesting things about that. One is there's an enormous number of folks that already come and shop Walmart.com, you know, kind of every month. Uh, you know, it's I think if you look at the Comscore numbers, it's kind of north of 80 million folks that come every month. And we want to make sure that as they come and they enter search terms in on the website and they look for products and browse for them, we want to make sure that we have the products that they're looking for, you know, at prices that they would expect. Uh, and so as we think about who makes sense to sell on, on the Walmart marketplace, we're looking for people that can fill those needs, uh, that have those products at those prices that our customers are already coming to us and telling us that they want. Um, and so as we've thought about who it makes sense to go out and and work with, we actually just start with what our customers are already telling us. What are the demand signals that we're receiving? And, you know, it's not just online. It's sometimes it's, you know, kind of store signals, you know, somebody who is you know, maybe in Maryland and going to a store and saying, I, you know, I really want um, a product that's, you know, maybe a Northwest, you know, a, a Seattle product. Um, and I just can't get it at my local store. Well, let's find a way to get it to them either first party or third party. Uh, so um, we focus, we start with those kind of customer demand signals. Then we go out and look for marketplace sellers that carry those products. Uh, and if they carry them and they have, you know, uh, kind of uh, great values, because uh, it is, we definitely want great values for our customers. And they have a track record in delivering on it. 
then we try to find a way to work together. Got it. Let's say a seller, um, you know, be it they are a kind of a traditional retailer kind of model or a uh, a brand is interested in the Walmart marketplace. What's the best way for them to engage with you guys? Yeah. So you, um, we have some great uh, kind of channel integrators that we work with. Uh, channel Advisor uh, has been a, a great partner for for a couple of years, but there's others as well. There's you know, kind of Commerce Hub is is one that we've been working with uh, and, and kind of others. Or alternatively, you can just go to marketplace.walmart.com and kind of integrate directly with us. Uh, and we are, you can find us at, at shows. You know, we're going to uh, be at um, the shop.org show, uh, you know, in, in Dallas. We're going to, you know, we'll be at Retail Global. We'll be at uh, kind of the trade shows as well. And we're happy to talk with folks there and, and kind of help them through the process. Or again, you know, the best place to find us is is online. I mean, that's what we're in. We're in e-commerce and you can uh, we can start the process and start a dialogue and see if something makes sense. Yeah. Are they um, are there any categories you guys don't participate in? So, for example, I know some newer marketplaces uh, only want new products and they don't really have a model for used or refurb or, you know, maybe there are certain categories like collectibles or auto parts or uh, other ones um, are there any 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 areas that aren't uh, you know a priority today um, that it doesn't make sense for someone to really approach you on so as we kind of add to our assortment um, we're also focused on making sure that the experience of shopping us is a good one so there's certain kind of a sort there's some categories in which that experience really really matters you know auto parts is an interesting one. Uh, to shop auto parts well, you have to have a great front end experience. Um, it's something that, you know, until we get a great front end experience, auto parts is something that we don't, you know, have an enormous amount of focus on. You know, in some cases, auto parts work. In other cases, they don't work as well. Um, you bring up used and refurbed uh, items. Uh, right now, we're largely focused on new products. Um, mm -hmm. Other than, you know, we do a little bit of refurbished electronics. You know, again, making sure that it's sellers that have a good track record in the space. So we do a little bit of refurbished electronics, but largely at this point, it's it's uh, mar the marketplace is focused on new products. Got it. That seems to make sense. Uh, you know, when talking to a lot of retailers that don't have a marketplace, one of the, the, the things they always point to is, you know, gosh, I, I would be afraid of the cannibalization. I'd be, you know, why would I let other sellers have access to my customers and sell the same stuff I'm selling, and I have to imagine amongst those those two million uh, Walmart employees, like particularly some of the merchants, uh, there are probably people at Walmart that that worry about cannibalization. Like, do you guys think of that as a risk or a downside of marketplace, or or how how should a retailer think about cannibalization in a marketplace? You know, so I think the way you answer that question really depends on what perspective you take. Uh, so if your perspective is how can I protect um, myself, my company, um, I think you approach the problem differently than if you start with the with the premise of how can I serve my customer. So by taking a customer first approach where we sit there and say, how can we make sure that our customer comes to Walmart.com, finds what they're looking for um, at a great value and then comes back over and over again, it's actually much easier to operate a marketplace uh, than if you take the position that. I want to be the one that sells them the product. Look, it's very hard to always have exactly what your customer wants every time. Uh, so what we're going to focus on at Walmart is we're going to focus at Walmart about 
you know, on our first party business, focusing on delivering great products at great values um, where we can add, you know, kind of add value to our customers and participate in that. That doesn't mean we're going to sell everything ourselves. Uh, marketplace is a way to make sure that our customers come can find those products, but also can maybe find purple handkerchiefs if that's what they're looking for. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure we have, you know, those core products as well as everything out to, you know, that our customers might be looking for. Um, again, start with the customer first. You come up with a different answer. It's not cannibalization. It's meeting your customers' needs and expectations every time. Very cool. Uh, speaking of uh, meeting customer expectations, one of the things that I know people are sometimes surprised about uh, when you talk about all the things Walmart's doing is all the innovation uh, that that's coming out of Walmart. Um, so, you know, I look at your your overall offering and, and you know, you have your own um, membership shipping program, Shipping Pass. You, you have, you know, an extensive grocery offering in, I think, something like 60 markets and curbside pickups and dedicated pickup locations. You have your own payment system in Walmart Pay. You 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 provide real-time chat support in the store. All these sort of interesting, novel um, uh, commerce experiences – is uh, how do you guys do that? How do you think about innovation? Is there an ivory tower somewhere that's doing all those things for you? Is it is it you know ingrained in in everyone's day job? Yeah, you know, uh, ivory towers don't work very well in my experience. What you really want is you want your operators and the people that are dealing with their customers every day to try to find ways to solve problems for your customers. So we have you know kind of throughout the the 2 million you know kind of folks that work for Walmart we're getting ideas all the time on how we can better serve our customers and you're right there's some cool stuff going on the uh you know grocery home shopping or online grocery is really cool it's in 60 markets it's expanding quickly there's you know kind of 400 touch points around the United States where you can go online order your groceries and pick them up uh and it's free you know it's you know you get those same great everyday Walmart prices you're a busy mom you got three kids in the car. Um, look, shopping isn't what you're looking forward to in your day. You can drive up to one of these locations, pre-order. You pull up, they pop your, you pop your trunk, and somebody loads your groceries for you. You don't even get out of the car. Your kids stay in their car seats. It's a super cool program. Uh, customers love it. Uh, it's really fun to kind of see, you know, the, you know, frankly, this ability to give time back to your customers. So that's a great program. The Shipping Pass program is another one you mentioned. So shipping pass is, is $49 a year, gets you free two-day shipping on, you know, millions of items. Uh, and it's uh, it's got a 30-day free trial, so you can actually try it without paying for it. And customers love it. Uh, they come back, they order over and over again. You can get, again, great, these great items you always find at Walmart, uh, and you can get them really fast. Uh, so kind of a cool, cool uh, thing that we're offering. You know, one of the things that, that, uh, you, all, you kind of touched on, although not directly, is you know, Walmart has this great app. And the app isn't just about buying stuff on for walmart.com. It's also a way to shop your local store. So you can use the app to find things in a store. You can use the app to find your closest store. You can use the app to, you know, if you've got a prescription, you want to refill it, you just scan the, the bottle label and it will have your prescription waiting for you when you get to the pharmacy. All these different ways that we can make your shopping experience better, uh, that we can make it easier. We can save you both money, but we can also save you time. So that that Walmart app is, you know, it's something that, you know, customers just love using it. You know, around the holiday last year, it was the number one downloaded retail app in America. 
uh, and you know customers are coming to it. They're finding it. They're using it over and over again. You know, they sometimes buy online, but often they're just using it to make their lives easier in a store and and other ways. So exciting stuff. Uh, we keep trying to find new ways to innovate, and it's really our customers telling us how we can be better for them. Uh, and you know, again, no specific ivory tower team doing it, but just kind of a collective groundswell of ideas that, you know, the technologists at Walmart can take and and make into kind of cool products that we can uh, offer to our customers. Yeah. Jason and I are familiar with shipping paths. Um, tell tell the listeners a little bit about that and, um, you know, what, what the thinking is there. Sure. It's, um, we wanted to give people some certainty about uh, getting quick delivery uh, at, for a, a set amount each year. Uh, and so shipping pass is a subscription. You pay you know, once for a year and you can come online, you can find products. There's no basket minimums or anything like that. And those products will show up in a, in a couple of business days after you order them. Um, it's, you know, we took the Walmart, you know, kind of approach and made it an everyday low price. You know, so it's just $49 for a year and you can uh, order as much as you like, as often as you would like. Uh, and it's you're going to get that consistent delivery kind of time and time again. Cool. And have uh, folks responded pretty well to that program? Uh, folks have really liked it. You know, we've seen a, a real uh, groundswell support for it. Uh, and not only are people signing up for it, but people are happy with the products. Uh, and, you know, we hear kind of great feedback for it. And we're, of course, constantly looking for ways to improve it. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, good. I was just going to say, you know, it's interesting we don't think we're done with shipping pass. It's in a pilot stage right now. And, you know, it's an opportunity to kind of constantly innovate on it. And, uh, and, you know, it's funny, it's something, you know, that, you know, we're looking for better ways to meet our customers' expectations. And, you know, shipping pass is a cool way of doing that. And, and by pilot, is it, um, is it regionally constrained or anything like that? Or, or what, um, what's the pilot part so, of it? It, it was regionally constrained at one point, just, uh, but it's not anymore. So, okay. you know, we're we're conscious of just making sure that, you know, as people sign up, we know, you know, we can deliver on the promise. You know, so, you know, we're finding ways, to, you know, the program today might not be exactly the same as the program tomorrow if we can find a better way to make it work for our customers. Okay. The uh, uh, funny story on the grocery thing, I didn't realize it had launched in our, our kind of regional Walmarts here. And then, um, you know, I kept seeing my friends saying things like shipping hero uh, and, you know, being obviously you know, our, our shopping hero, sorry. So obviously kind of interested in shopping. I was like, what the heck is a shopping hero? And then, and then I realized that, you know, that was their way. And I don't know if they were doing it through some, the mobile app or something, but they were just like, you know, furiously tweeting and Facebooking about how excited they were about the the grocery pickup. So uh, you have a lot of fans here in the Raleigh Durham area, that's for sure. Um, on the on the topic of innovation, uh, you know, the you guys have Walmart Labs, and and that group has done a lot of interesting M and A. And I imagine it's kind of housed there in the San Bruno, or maybe that's the Sunnyvale group. I don't know how you guys split it up. Um, how do you how do you guys interact with them? You know, a lot of these. A lot, of, a lot of times you hear from folks that there's an innovation lab and it kind of does its own thing. And then the folks like yourself that have, you know, effectively a, a P&L to deliver, um, you know, it, it's hard to interact with those guys. Is, is there some way you can go to those folks and say, you know, for example, I imagine when you went from a couple million to, to you know, many, many millions of items, maybe there's some search infrastructure you need or some innovation around, you know, I don't know, uh, the mobile app and that kind of thing. Is, is, there, is there a way for you to kind of put in a request over the labs or, you know, give us a flavor for how, how that works? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And yes, you're right. There's lots of things we need to do as we as we scale up, you know, making sure our customers can find those millions of items doesn't do you any good to have them if they can't find them. So look, uh, you know, as we focused on how do we make Marketplace successful, that at Labs team was at the table helping us figure out how we were going to do it. So there is a whole group in the at Labs organization that focuses on how do we uh, make our customers' lives better by making Marketplace work. So I work every day with my partners in the At Labs organization, you know, scoping out, you know, how do we take our existing platform and scale it up better? How do we make sure that we can find our customers can find the items on the site by better search? How do we make sure that uh, we deliver that kind of seamless experience? You know, how do we figure out what the next generation mar- marketplace looks like? Um, that's really a partnership between, uh, you know, the the marketplace team here. Uh, in San Bruno and in Sunnyvale, we actually split, and the At Labs team in San Bruno and Sunnyvale that's supporting us. So it's very much a collaborative effort. Um, you know, we're we're in it together, um, and that's one of the things that makes it really exciting. We uh, we had a celebration just uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, because we hit a real neat milestone. You know, where we you know, had a thousand sellers on the site. Um, and you know, we we got a chance to meet together, all of us together, in one of the big conference rooms in Sunnyvale. We had its its ice cream sandwiches for those of you from San Francisco, a local treat. You know, just again celebrating kind of how far we've come just in a few short months since we launched the new platform. Uh, it's a great team; they do really innovative stuff, and uh, they're a key part of you know the success of, of Walmart Marketplace. Cool. On on the flip side, do they ever come to you and say? Hey, here's this awesome new machine learning technology. Is there a way you can use it? And um, it seems like it would be kind of you could almost flow both ways. Every day, every day they have some cool new idea, applying some type of new technology to to commerce. Uh, it is look, Walmart is the biggest playground for somebody who wants to play around with tech and interact with people at scale. Uh, and so the people that are in that at Labs organization are constantly looking for new technologies, new ways to innovate new ways to play around with with cutting edge technologies and making it actually work for people. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about sitting down together, that's not, you know, uh, us talking about what we want in marketplace. That's us collectively coming together, putting ideas on a whiteboard, figuring out what's doable quickly, what's doable in the long term. Uh, and again, you come up with some real neat innovations by doing it that way. Yeah, that, that's, uh, I don't think a lot of people a no and B give you credit on that because again when you think about that Walmart DNA there's like a classic example in the that biography where you know there's like office supplies are relentlessly tracked down and you know if a pencil still has a fair amount of lead you know it's collected and stored and you know that which is great and that's how you you pass those low prices on but you would think you know when you read that biography you're like wow it must be hard to do innovation there because there's no ROI on a lot of innovation but it sounds like you guys have been able to do um, do both. Uh, of, of you know being able to, to have that innovation. Do you guys do anything else? Like, so Google has 20% time and uh, other retailers, we know they have like hackathons. Do you guys do any of that, that kind of stuff as well as having the labs kind of piece? Uh, we definitely do hackathons. You know, we, we take time, you know, both the business and tech folks often will get together and it's, you know, periodically throughout the year. And I can't remember if it's three times a year, four times a year, but we'll, We'll spend a weekend. We'll all get together. We'll come up with these really cool projects. And one of the neat things I get to do is I get to judge them. So I get to go around and hear from you know these these teams that are cross functional teams about the really cool ideas that they have. And 
about six months ago, I was going through on one of these hackathons and there was a marketplace focus project from a team I didn't know at all. And it was really cool. It was a way to make sure that our customers uh, had visibility into when their packages were going to arrive. Uh, and, you know, I saw it. I was super excited. I went upstairs to my to my desk and I immediately shot off an email to some folks and we were able to kind of take their project, you know, scale it up and make it available to customers, you know, just a few months later, just from a hackathon, from an idea from somebody who took a, you know, time out of, you know, their day job and came up with a really cool concept. So it's a, it really is a win-win. It's a chance to kind of innovate. It's a chance to, you know, get some crazy ideas that, you know, maybe uh, doesn't always, you know, bubble up to the surface initially, but you can find ways to use them. Yeah, we, we do those at Channel Advisor a lot. And sometimes you ask yourself, you know, what if every day was a hackathon? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you have to have a, you have to have a mix in there. If, if every day was a hackathon, no, no, uh, you know, bugs would get fixed or, or some of the mon- more mundane things probably wouldn't get done. So there's, there's definitely an interesting balance in there. There, there absolutely is. I think that concept is called holacracy, Scott, is... Yeah, Zappos uh, way of doing things. Exactly. Uh, You know, speaking of the hackathon, one of the things that I think surprises people about Walmart uh, is how open and collaborative you guys are with the rest of the tech community. So you you mentioned those hackathons. Uh, You you invite lots of partners and external entities to participate as well. And I know um, uh, we've participated in a bunch of those hackathons, which is pretty cool. But to me, even cooler, you guys host meetups on a lot of these topics and you invite uh, other folks to come on campus and share ideas and best practices and new ways of solving problems. And I, I know, you know, performance people from Etsy would fly into San Bruno to to come to performance meetups at Walmart. And uh, you've you've really participated in the open source community open sourced a ton of stuff. But one thing that I think is particularly cool that I point out to a lot of other retail IT shops is uh, you've open sourced a major hosting platform called OneOps. Yeah, it's one of the things the technology team is really passionate about is, you know, participating in in the open source community. And that's both using open source and, and you know, sharing back. Um, and it's, again, one of the really neat focuses of, of that group. And you know, we're really built on a kind of an, an open source kind of philosophy. Uh, and it's something we want to share with with others, because if everybody collaborates together, we're going to build something, something better. The same thing applies to business principles and meetups. Look, we don't have all the answers. Uh, and if we think we have all the answers, we'll lose. Uh, so learning from others, I mean, it's a chance to learn from all kinds of folks about different approaches. And you want to you know, hopefully take all that's good and, and throw out the things that are bad and, and build something better for your customers. Very cool. And by the way, bonus points for referencing It's It. I used to have an office in Burlingame across the street from the factory. And every night when you'd go home, you'd smell all that chocolate. And I feel like you triggered a Pavlovian response with me when you uh, when you mentioned them. Uh, Jason's always all about the chocolate. The uh, We couldn't get the guy from Mondelez to get a word in uh, about anything that wasn't Oreos when, when we had them. Or Ferrara. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We need more chocolatiers on this show. Make a note. Uh, <laughs> Godiva. We're, all right. Get exactly. the showrunners to work on Godiva. All right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I want to uh, uh, switch topics to to one of my favorite topics. We touched on it a little bit already uh, in terms of the mobile app. Um, and I have to say, uh, the mo- your mobile app is a great success. It's kind of the bane of my existence because, you know, I talk to lots of retailers and, you know, one of the things we always talk about is the pros and cons of the app versus mobile optimized websites. 
And for most retailers, you're never going to get a huge audience on the mobile app. So I really advocate uh, uh, folks to to first and foremost invest in their mobile web. Um, and you know, I, you guys are sort of the exception to the rule uh, that that makes it hard for me to give good advice to some smaller retailers. Um, but I did have a question for you. Um, so Scott and I have this uh, religious debate on mobile about what we call the mobile gap. So seems like all retailers, and I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll tell me it's true at Walmart as well. Um, seeing more and more mobile traffic, uh, many retailers, and I think you guys have announced it at least during holidays, have already sort of passed peak mobile, where you have more mobile visitors than desktop visitors. But the conversion rates tend to be a lot lower for those mobile visitors when they, they do come to your website. And so I, I wonder if you have a, a hypothesis about why the conversion rate is lower or, you know, any, any theories about what we can do to address that? Or um, how do you guys think about the mobile gap if, if, if you do at Walmart? Uh, no, the thought, uh, <laughs> it's crossed our mind. Yeah, you know, we... <laughs> I'm shocked. Uh, look... There, there's there's clearly been a traffic shift, you know, away from, you know, what was desktop and, and now to mobile. And look, I, I mean, I just think about how much I use my phone and, you know, it's always there. It's always on. So, look, we've got to find a way to serve our customers better by making it easier for them to build baskets and shop, you know, through an app you know, on a smaller screen. You know, and, you know, for us, you know, we have definitely found that by offering that kind of additional functionality on an app, uh, we can make that experience better. Uh, and, but it's also, it's got to be a constant area of innovation. This is a relatively recent phenomenon. You know, uh, I think, you know, we have obviously, you know, 80, 90% of our customers are using smartphones on a regular basis. We want to be there. We want to have a super center in their pocket with them at all the time. And not just a super center, like that, that broad assortment that we want to have for them. And then we have to make it easy for them to find it, easier for them to discover items that they're looking for. Uh, it's hard. It's those Walmart labs guys, you know, in their hackathons are coming up with these cool ideas on how do you make a, you know, a, a four inch screen, you know, appealing. Um, and it's, um, you know, we're, we're certainly having success. We are finding that, you know, as we get better at this customers, it's easier for customers to find things and buy things. Uh, and we just got to con- constantly innovate around that. Very cool. Um, something that you may not be aware of, but our, our regular listeners uh, certainly know, is that we're famous for our research department. Um, and so I know you know the, they were preparing a dossier on you before you came on the show, and they uncovered that you're a former rugby player, um, which seems a lot tougher than some of our other guests that play like cricket, for example. So. I'm just curious, like uh, how how you got into cricket and or rugby, rather, and have you have you passed that interest on to your kids along with the their Seahawks fandom? Uh, you know, so I uh, I came I came back to college. Uh, I was a, a high school wrestler, and I realized I just wasn't good enough to wrestle in college. Um, and so I came back. I wanted to do something, and I picked up rugby. Uh, and I ended up. I went to Brigham Young University in in Provo, and they had this great rugby team. And I was one of the stupid enough kids to just kind of start playing rugby, and I I just loved it. I mean, it is the funnest sport. If you had a chance to watch it during the Olympics, it's nonstop action. It's that kind of combination of of uh, kind of football and soccer. Um, incredibly fun to play. Incredibly fun to watch. Uh, got really passionate about it. I've gotten too old now to play it. I went back and played in an alumni game uh, just last year, and I realized 
That seems oh very gosh. dangerous. <laughs> it, it was a, a dangerous exercise, but my son started playing last year. So he's 10 years old. He's playing in a, in a rugby league uh, here locally. And, you know, I got a chance to do some assistant coaching for that, that team. Uh, again, really fun. It's a uh, great exercise. It's, you know, even though it looks super dangerous, it's actually without pads. It, it's actually less dangerous, I think. So yeah, just very fun. Cool. And there's a side benefit. I, I'm pretty sure you guys probably use agile development and you're familiar with the scrum flavor of that. So you can go in and show those guys how it really is. <laughs> I should suggest proper scrum <laughs> techniques. Yeah. So. Oh, a scrum. You like go tackle a guy. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. I'm an actual <laughs> scrum master. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, you know, we're getting tight on time. So just, uh, just a quick final question. Just want to ask you to look out into the future. And, and I know working for a public company like Walmart, you, you can't do that with your Walmart hat on. So, so ask you to just take your Walmart hat off and just as someone that's been in e-commerce for a while and, uh, you know, even, you know, with the, the street cred of Z shops, uh, and selling books back in the day, what, what are any interesting technologies you keep track of kind of personally, you're in the Bay area, you must see a bazillion things all the time that, that you think are going to impact uh, e-commerce that, that our listeners should think about? Uh, sure. You know, there's there's cool things coming out all the time. Uh, things, neat things in kind of your fulfillment and logistics. I mean, we hear talk about drones all the time. And the funny thing is, is, you know, we're probably not going to see drones doing deliveries to at least in our in our local neighborhoods anytime soon. But we're all getting pretty close to using drones in logistics facilities to you know, kind of make it a lot easier to manage large amounts of inventory. And e-commerce is all about trying to find those efficiencies. So, you know, drone technology is cool, even though it may not be as visible as, you know, as some of the, some other folks who have kind of made, you know, big splashes about things that may be out in the distance. Um, you know, virtual reality is interesting. You know, as uh, we're getting, seeing things like Oculus and others kind of get closer, you know, finding ways to connect consumers with products that, you know, giving them a real chance to kind of experience like, you know, what it looks like, pick it up, look inside. Um, you know, I think that's a neat, you know, space that, you know, we'll probably see some real cool commerce implications around. Um, and then, you know, it's, look, I live in the Bay Area. One of the really neat things is the kind of all the, you know, frankly, all the self-driving kind of technologies. I'm not sure this is yeah. as direct around commerce, but, you know, driving around in Mountain View and Sunnyvale and seeing all the, the Google self-driving cars and all the, the Teslas where you're not really sure if they're driving themselves or not. And I mean, <laughs> it, it feels like I'm in the Jetsons sometimes. Uh, you know, very cool. Very cool to kind of see technology at work. And, um, you know, if Uber really can get, you know, self-driving, you know, pickup. And I think Singapore Today announced the they're going to have a, a, a self-driving taxi, you know, operating in Singapore it may be a, you know, right around the corner that we're going to see some of those kind of cool innovations. And again, you solve that last mile around delivery using you know, automated vehicles. It gets real easy to kind of see e-commerce you know, just continuing to accelerate the way it is now. Yeah. And with a, uh, I have a nine-year-old, you have a 10-year-old. It's interesting to think, you know, will that 10-year-old need a driver's license? And it's kind of like such a, you know, such a foreign thing. You know, it's, I think, yeah, personally, I think they're on the bubble, but I think, you know, Jason has uh, a toddler and, and I can pretty much guarantee that that he's probably not going to need a driver's license. It'll probably be more of a luxury item to get a driver's license. And it's kind of pretty amazing times we live in when you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it's totally crazy. 
but Scott, Seth, it has happened again. We've spent a perfectly good hour of the listeners' time. So, Seth, uh, we're super grateful for you taking the time out of your busy schedule to share your insights with us. Hey, yes, I really, appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, you know, kind of listening to you, I, I think your focus on the customer is is really, uh, you know, it's great to hear that a lot of people in the world of retail kind of forget that. And, and, you know, um, I, I think that's, that's a testament to, to what you're working on there at Walmart. And, um, you mentioned that your kids may be listening. So if they made it all the way through, I want to give them a little reward here at the end with a pro Pokemon go tip. Um, so the strategy is called Pidgey stacking. So there's a little Pokemon and it's kind of an unassuming Pokemon and most people don't even bother to catch it. But if you go catch as many of them as you can, it only takes 12 to evolve one. So if you go catch like literally 60 of these things, then you throw out a lucky egg. And what the lucky egg does is it doubles your experience points from anything you do. Then you evolve those Pidgeys really quickly. You will level up. Uh, I don't know where your kids are on the level scale, but if they're kind of sub 20, they'll, uh, they'll get two levels from doing Pidgey stacking. So, um, you know, as a, as a reward, hopefully they've made it this far and haven't fallen asleep. Or, or if they have, you could wake them up if you're listening to this. And that is your exclusive Pokemon Go tip. Wonderful. And now I know they'll listen. <laughs> yeah, you can bait them with a tease for the the, <laughs> the, the, the special tip at the end. So uh, before we go, one last reminder uh, from our sponsor, NRF. Uh, Jason and I, and it sounds like Seth will be there too. Um, and, but Jason and I are going to be live podcasting from the show. We really want to see you there. And it's Dallas, September 26th to 28th. The special code to get 10% off is Jason Ampersand Scott. And you can apply that over at the shop.org site. Thank you, everyone. Thanks very much, everyone. Happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review. 